Hello and welcome to another episode of Analyzing Mormonism. This is episode 32, and all I'm doing today is sharing an essay about Joseph Smith's treasure digging. And this essay is by Dan Vogel. And I hope you guys enjoy it. I think treasure digging is one of the most fascinating topics of Mormonism. The Locations of Joseph Smith's Early Treasure Quests by Dan Vogel Published in Dialogue, A Journal of Mormon Thought, Volume 27, Number 3, 1994 in mid-1971, Wesley P. Walters discovered Justice Albert Neely's Bill of Costs for 1826 in the dam basement of the Shenango County Jail in Norwich, New York, confirming Joseph Smith's involvement in treasure digging. Rather than defend Smith's later statements that limited his involvement as a treasure seer to a single brief instance with Josiah Stoll in November of 1825 in Harmony, Pennsylvania, many scholars now accept the essential accuracy of the March 1826 court transcript. In this court record, Smith confessed that, he had a certain stone which he had occasionally looked at to determine where hidden treasure were, and had looked for Mr. Stoll several times, that at Palmyra he had frequently ascertained in that way where lost property was, that he has occasionally been in the habit of looking through his stone to find lost property for three years. In what follows, I hope to treat Joseph Smith's treasure-seeking activities in the Palmyra, Manchester area, and later at various locations along the Susquehanna River, running through Harmony, Pennsylvania, and the southern New York counties of Shenango and Broome, See map 1. Instead of discussing these activities in general, I will identify specific locations for some of Smith's treasure quests. Palmyra, Manchester, New York, 1822-1825 and 1827. Non-Mormon journalist James Gordon Bennett, who visited the Palmyra, Manchester, New York area in August of 1831, wrote that, On the sides and in the slopes of several of these hills in Manchester, Joseph Smith-inspired excavations are still to be seen. On the 4th of December of 1833, 51 residents of the Palmyra area affirmed that large excavations may be seen in the earth, not far from there, the Smith's residence, where they used to spend their time digging for hidden treasure. In 1867, Palmyra resident Pomeroy Tucker wrote, Numerous traces of the excavations left by the Smiths are yet remaining as evidence of his impostures and the folly of his dupes, though most of them have been obliterated by the clearing off and tilling of the lands where they were made. The pit hole memorials, of his treasure explorations were numerous in the surrounding fields and woodlands, attracting the inspection of the curious and the wonder of the superstitious. As late as March 1881, Hiram Jackway, who was born at Palmyra in 1815, said he knew the location of three holes in the area where the Smiths worked. The combined testimony from area residents, which is examined in detail below, identifies six specific locations in Manchester for Smith family treasure quests, see map 2. The majority of these Smith-inspired digs date to the earliest period of Joseph Smith's activities as treasure seer, 1822 to 1825, before his employment with Josiah Stoll in October of 1825, and subsequent treasure searches in Pennsylvania and southern New York. One dig, which evidently occurred in 1827, on the Joseph Capron farm before Smith produced the Book of Mormon gold plates in September, is also considered. About four years after their arrival in Palmyra, New York, the Smiths moved south to the village on Stanford Road, and took up residence in a small log cabin on the property of Samuel Jennings, about 58 feet north of the township line, dividing Palmyra and Farmington, known as Manchester after 1823. About the same time, Joseph Sr. and the oldest son, Alvin, contracted for a 100-acre lot just across the line in Manchester. According to their Manchester neighbors, Joseph Sr. and other Smith family members began searching for buried treasure in 1820. The earliest Smith family treasure quests probably occurred on their newly acquired Manchester land. According to Pomeroy Tucker, the inauguration of Joseph Jr.'s treasure seeing and resulting dig took place on a then-forest hill a short distance from his father's house. The account of this first dig, 
which Tucker said came from participants yet living, has Joseph Jr. locating the spot by aid of a seer stone, use of a magic enchantment to hold the treasure to the spot, ordering silence, a two-hour dig, a word carelessly spoken, and the seer's revelation that the treasure had slipped away. Although Tucker places the event in the spring of 1820, Joseph Jr.'s use of a seer stone dates the event to after 1822, when Willard Chase said the stone was discovered in a well on his family's property. William Stafford, an early acquaintance of the Smiths, who lived about a mile and a half south on Stafford Road, was invited by Joseph Sr. to participate in a treasure dig on Smith property. According to Stafford's December 8, 1833 statement, Joseph Jr. had seen in his stone two or three kegs of gold and silver located not many rods from his Smith's house. Despite Joseph Sr.'s leading the diggers through various folk magic exercises, they failed to unearth any treasure. Joseph Jr., whom Stafford said remained in the Smith's house during the operation, later explained that the treasure's guardian spirit had caused the money to sink, and Joseph Sr. declared that they had made a mistake in performing the exercises. While Stafford did not describe the exact location of the dig, he intended the hill east of the Smith's home, since he introduced his account by stating that the Smiths believed that nearly all the hills in this part of the New York were thrown up by human hands, and in them were large caves, which Joseph Jr. could see, by placing a stone of singular appearance in his hat, that he could see within the above-mentioned caves, large gold bars and silver plates, that he could also discover the spirits, and whose charge these treasures were, clothed in ancient dress. Again, Joseph Jr.'s use of a seer stone dates this episode to after 1822. Peter Ingersoll, who first met the Smiths in 1822, saw Joseph Sr. use both a mineral rod and a seer stone to locate buried treasure on his own property. On one occasion, according to Ingersoll, both Joseph Sr. and Alvin Smith placed a stone in a hat and demonstrated its use. Joseph Sr., declaring, If you only knew the value there is back of my house, and pointing to a place near, there, explained he, is one chest of gold and another of silver. Joseph Sr.'s phrase, back of my house, may also refer to the hill east of the Smith's residence. Joseph Jr. was also reportedly involved in treasure digging on Stafford family property. Joshua Stafford, 1798 to 1876, who owned land south of the Smiths on Stafford Road on Manchester, lots 5, until 1821, 7, and 9, told Isaac Butts that young Joe Smith and himself dug for money in his orchard and elsewhere nights. Butts personally sold the holes in the orchard, which were four or five feet square and three or four feet deep. Cornelius R. Stafford, born 1813, son of Jonathan Stafford, brother of William Stafford, remembered that, there was much digging for money on our farm and about the neighborhood, and that he saw his cousin Joshua Stafford dig a hole 20 feet long, 8 broad, and 7 deep. Samantha Payne, born 1808, daughter of William Stafford, was possibly living on a portion of Joshua Stafford's property when she said in 1881 that Joseph Smith dug upon many of the farms in the neighborhood as well as upon the farm on which she now resides, and that some of the holes which she dug can now be seen. Another early Smith-inspired dig related by William Stafford and supported in several sources occurred on the hill farthest east from the Smith's home on the Clark Chase farm. In this instance, Joseph Sr. and one of his sons approached Stafford, informed him that Joseph Jr. had located some very remarkable and valuable treasures and asked to use one of his black sheep for a blood sacrifice. Stafford, who was not present at the dig, said nothing about its location, but late Palmyra Manchester residents placed it on Old Sharp, a hill on the west side of the Canandaigua Road, just south of the township line on the northwest quadrant of Manchester Lot 2. See photo 1. Probably the most extensive Smith-inspired dig resulted in the excavation of a cave in a hill known to later Manchester residents as Miner's Hill, on land subsequently owned by Amos Miller and his heirs. See photo 2. 
Lorenzo Saunders, a Smith family friend and former resident of Palmyra, was an eyewitness to the digging on the hill's northeast side. I used to go there and see them work, he recalled in 1884. I seen the old man Smith dig there day in and day out. Joseph Smith Jr. never did any work. Joseph Jr. had a different role in the quest. Joseph Sr. told Saunders that Joe Jr. could see in his peepstone what there was in that cave, and that young Joe could see a man sitting in a gold chair. Old Joe said he was a king, i.e. the man in the chair, the king of one of the Indian tribes, who was shut in there in the time of one of their big battles. After a tunnel of considerable length had been excavated, the diggers placed a heavy wooden door at the entrance. While Saunders believed the cave had been dug in 1826, historical context suggests an earlier date. Saunders declared, I am one of them that went and tore the door down of the cave. My father was in possession, and he ordered us to break that door down and put the hole up. The cave had evidently been completed before the death of Enoch Saunders on October 10th of 1825. Although before his death, Enoch Saunders was in possession of, or leased, the land on which the hill and cave were situated. Lorenzo Saunders revealed that at the time, the door was removed and the cave's entrance blocked. Benjamin Tabor owned the land. It was a farm of 100 acres. He had it on an article. County records confirm Tabor's ownership, although the exact date of purchase cannot be determined. County records also suggest that the previous owner was Abner Cole, who, as editor of the Palmyra Reflector, later ridiculed Joseph Smith's treasure-seeking activities. Cole mortgaged the property in 1820, but continued paying taxes on it until at least 1823. In 1824, Cole experienced great financial difficulty, which resulted in the seizure of several properties in Palmyra and Macedon, including his office lot on Palmyra Main Street. About this time, Cole also lost possession of Manchester Lot 2. Cole's interest in Manchester Lot 2 explains his awareness of Smith's treasure-seeking activities, particularly his knowledge of Walters the Magician, who has since been identified as Lumen Walters, 1788 to 1860, of Gorham, New York. According to Saunders, at the time the big hole was dug in the hill, they was duped by one Walters who pretended to be a conjurer. I heard Willard Chase say that he was duped. They could not be deceived in it after he had gone through with a certain movement and charged them $7. Cole claimed that after Walters' departure from Manchester, his mantle fell upon the prophet, Joe Smith Jr. On January 28th of 1834, Benjamin Tabor deeded the 100 acres of land on Manchester Lot 2 to Lorenzo Saunders for $3,000. On November 26, 1836, Saunders visited Albany and obtained a letter of patent from the state for the same property. On January 28, 1839, Saunders deeded about 48 acres of this land to Amos Miller, who then became the owner of the hill and cave. Miners' heirs held the property for three generations, and the family's understanding regarding the cave is best explained by Granson Wallace Miner, born 1843, who told Brigham Young University professor M. Wilford Poulsen in 1932 that he, Smith, dug a 40-foot cave right on this very farm. He dug in about 20 feet, and the angel told him that this was not holy ground, but to move south to Camorra. Martin Harris stayed at this home when I was about 13 years of age, C.A. 1856, and I used to go over to the diggings, about 100 rods or a little less southeast of this house. It is near a clump of bushes, Martin Harris regarded it as fully as sacred as the Mormon Hill diggings. Christopher M. Stafford, a nephew of William Stafford, who moved from Manchester to Ohio in 1831, claimed to have been inside the cave, evidently before it was closed by the Saunders family. In 1867, Pomeroy Tucker reported that, From the lapse of time and natural causes, the cave has been closed for years, very little mark of its former existence remaining to be seen. Manchester resident Ezra Pierce told the Kellys in 1881 that the cave was still closed. 
But in 1884, Samantha Payne said that the cave can be seen today. The present owner of the farm, Mr. Wallace Minor, dug out the cave which had fallen in, and that she'd been in it once. Orson Saunders, a nephew of Lorenzo Saunders, who also visited the cave about this time, said that he found quite a large chamber, many feet in extent, which with marks of the pigs plainly visible in the light of his candles. The passageway within the chamber was eight feet wide and seven feet high. In 1893, a reporter from the New York Herald, accompanied by Orson Saunders and John H. Gilbert, visited the cave and reported that the door jams leading into the cave are still sound and partly visible, but the earth has been washed down by the storms, and the opening to the cave nearly filled, so that it cannot be entered at present. The door jam is heavy plank of beech or maple, and the inscriptions, which had evidently been cut deeply by a sharp knife, were partially worn away. By 1932, Palmyra historian Thomas L. Cook reported that no trace of the old Joe Smith cave can be found. The cave remained closed until April 1974 when Andrew H. Comer, owner of the property, cleared the cave's opening with a bulldozer, see photo 3. At that time, the cave had been described as about 6 feet high at the largest point in the middle and 10 to 12 feet long, and carved into a rock-hard clay hillside. The walls and ceiling of the cave appear to have been dug or picked by hand. Today, the entrance of the cave is closed and overgrown with foliage, see photo 3. Undoubtedly, the most significant of Smith's treasure quests occurred on a prominent hill now known as the Hill Camorra, situated on the east side of the Canandaigua Road and the northwest quadrant of Manchester, Lot 85, then part of the Randall Robinson Farm, see photo 4. Certainly, Smith's discovery of the gold plates in 1823 and subsequent activities on the hill occurred within a treasure-seeking context. Of particular interest is the claim that Smith and his friends dug on the hill sometime before Smith removed the plates on September 22, 1827. One unidentified Manchester resident said that Mormon Hill had been long designated as the place in which countless treasures were buried. Joseph the Elder had spaded up many a foot of the hillside to find them, and Joseph Jr. had on more than one occasion accompanied him. In 1880, Frederick G. Mather said, Returning to the vicinity of Palmyra from Pennsylvania, Smith and his followers began to dig for the plates on the eastern side of the hill. Mather connected this digging with events of September 22, 1827. But five years later, Lorenzo Saunders corrected Mather's dating. Saunders, who visited the hill within days after Smith removed the plates, said he found no disturbance of the earth except a large hole which had been dug by the money diggers about a year or two before. In August of 1831, James Gordon Bennett noted that on Golden Bible Hill, there was a hole 30 or 40 feet into the side, 6 feet diameter. The existence of this hole on the northeast side of the hill in 1867 was verified by Pomeroy Tucker, who said that the excavation was yet partly visible, and by Edward Stevenson, who reported seeing the hole in 1871. Early residents of Palmyra, Manchester, mistook this northeastern excavation for the location of the plate's repository, which Oliver Cowdery later said was on the west side of the hill, not far from the top down its side. Whatever the nature of Joseph Smith's involvement with money digging on the hill, both the location and timing of the digging suggests at least an indirect connection with Smith. However, Martin Harris's statement that Smith did not separate from the money diggers until after he obtained the plates indicates a more direct involvement. Moreover, the suggestion that Smith's fellow money diggers had previously dug on the hill explains why they later believed that they had a right to the plates and tried to take them from Smith. According to Joseph Knight, at least one of Smith's treasure-seeking friends, Samuel F. Lawrence, who was also a seer, had been to the hill and knew about the things in the hill and he was trying to obtain them. Willer Chase also said Lawrence had been to the hill with Smith in 1825 and had seen the plates in his stone, but that Smith later said that he had taken Lawrence to the wrong location. 
After their marriage on January 18, 1827, at Bainbridge, Joseph and Emma Smith went to Manchester, where they resided in the Smith home until their removal to Harmony, Pennsylvania, in December. During this stay in Manchester, Joseph Smith engaged in treasure-seeking activities before obtaining the plates in September. Both Martin Harris and Lorenzo Saunders state that Smith led a treasure-digging company up to the time he received the gold plates. Harris specifically claimed that Josiah Stoll was visiting the Smiths in Manchester, digging for money, when Joseph took the plates from the hill. Joseph Capron, who lived south of the Smiths on Manchester, Lot 1, reported that Joseph Jr., using a stone in his hat, had located a chest of gold watches northwest of my house, and that in 1827, a company of money diggers, led by Samuel F. Lawrence, attempted to unearth the treasure. Capron's farm was situated on the most southern portion of Manchester, Lot 1, and the dig possibly occurred on the west side of Stafford Road. Harmony, Pennsylvania, November 1825. The only known Smith-inspired dig in Pennsylvania occurred in the township of Harmony, now Oakland, on land owned by Joseph McCune, Jr. In October of 1825, Josiah Stoll of South Bainbridge, Shenango County, New York, made his way up the newly opened Erie Canal to visit his oldest son, Simpson Stowell, in Palmyra, Wayne County, New York. By this time, Joseph Smith Jr.'s activities in the Palmyra-Manchester area as a treasure seer were well known. For years, Stowell had attempted to locate a lost Spanish silver mine along the banks of the Susquehanna River near Harmony, Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Thus, a mutual interest in treasure-seeking drew Stoll to the Smith's Manchester home. In fact, Lucy Smith said Stoll came to their home on account of having heard that he, Joseph Jr., possessed certain keys by which he could discern things invisible to the natural eye. Stoll was amazed by young Smith's ability to see distant places in his stone and hired him on the spot. Both Joseph Sr. and Joseph Jr. accompanied Stoll to South Bainbridge, then proceeded with his small band of treasure seekers to Harmony. On November 1st of 1825, Articles of Agreement were drawn up and signed, stipulating how the interested parties were to divide the treasure among themselves. According to this document, the diggers were seeking a valuable mine of either gold or silver and also coined money and bars or ingots of gold or silver located at a certain place in Pennsylvania near William Hales. Since William Hale, a resident of Colesville, New York, does not appear in either land record or tax rolls for Harmony, he was evidently renting or boarding in the area of the diggers. Unfortunately, this clue does not help locate the site of the Spanish mine. The earliest account to locate the exact place of Stoll's treasure-seeking venture is Emily C. Blackman's 1873 History of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania, which states, Jacob I. Skinner has the deed of the land on which Joe's followers experimented. It is something of a quarter of a mile north of the river to the diggers up Flat Brook. Starting from Susquehanna Depot to reach his place, one crosses the bridge and turns to the left following the road nearest the river, which strikes the old river at Shutt's house. Then, continuing on down until he crosses a creek and comes in sight of a schoolhouse with a grove beyond it, in front of which, on the opposite side of the road, is a graveyard. Just above the schoolhouse, he turns into a road on the right and follows up Flat Brook, to the farm now owned by J.I. Skinner. From his house, a path leads about 120 yards southeast to the large excavation. Skinner's property was situated in the foothills of Aquago Mountain, immediately north of Joseph Smith's former residence, C-Map 3. According to the tax records, Skinner's father Jacob and uncle Abram purchased the land from Joseph McCune Jr. in 1830. R.C. Dowd of Windsor, New York, asserted that in 1822 he was employed with 13 others by Oliver Harper to dig for gold on Joseph McCune's land. McCune's wife, Sally, born 1794, reported in 1880 that before her husband purchased Smith's land in 1833, she, 
lived upon a farm adjoining Joe Smith's lot and the Isaac Hale farm, and inside of the place where they dug for it a ton of silver, on Jacob I. Skinner's farm. This confirms Blackman's location of Stoll's diggings. Joseph, born 1807, and Heil, born about 1817, Lewis, sons of Nathaniel Lewis and cousins of Emma Smith, who grew up on the farm that adjoined Isaac Hale's on the west, did not object to Blackman's placement of the diggings. Locating the excavations themselves, in the hill northeast from his, Isaac Hale's, house. Heil probably exaggerated when he claimed that he could stand on his doorstep and lodge a bullet in the hole with his rifle. According to Blackman's description and diagram, see photo 5, there were five pits, the largest which included a drainage ditch, was 20 feet deep and 150 feet in circumference. To the south were three smaller pits and one other directly east. The number of pits, as Blackman explains, was due to the movement of the enchanted treasure and Smith's discovering its new location through his stone. Blackman also describes the erosion of the pits that had occurred up to 1873, reporting that one of the smaller pits was entirely filled and another partly filled. A photograph of what appears to be one of the smaller excavations was taken by George E. Anderson in 1907. Larry C. Porter, who visited the site in 1968 and 1970, reported, there are definite disturbances of the earth in the area represented by her, Blackman's, diagram, and one can piece together her intended identification of these pits on the ground. Some have been filled in and are particularly obscured by the undergrowth. However, it is obvious that there was a man-made effort to excavate a series of holes at some time or another. I failed to find any traces of the pits in October of 1992. Joseph Smith was ambiguous about the circumstances ending the project. After nearly a month without success in our undertaking, he recalled, Finally, I prevailed with the old gentleman to cease digging after it. According to Isaac Hale, young Smith gave the money diggers great encouragement at first, but when they had arrived in digging, to near the place where he had stated an immense treasure would be found, he said the enchantment was so powerful that he could not see. They then became discouraged and soon after dispersed. Shenango in Broome County's New York, November 1825 to March 1826. Although Smith's later accounts limited his treasure-seeking activities to his experience with Stoll in Pennsylvania, he continued similar ventures in Shenango and Broome counties until his arrest and court hearing in March 1826. Peter Bridgman, a nephew of Josiah Stoll who believed Smith was conning his uncle, issued a warrant accusing Smith of being a disorderly person and an imposter. While the court's finding remain a matter of controversy, conclusions of innocence or guilt are less important than the evidence of Smith's continued practice of treasure seeing and the central role he played in those operations. Accordingly, residents of South Bainbridge, now Afton, Shenango County, New York, identify four possible locations in the area for Joseph Smith's treasure quests, see Map 4. In his March 1826 statement to Justice Albert Neely, Josiah Stoll said Smith had boarded at his home the previous five months and occasionally used his stone to locate hidden treasures in the area. On one occasion, Smith looked through said stone for Deacon Addleton for a mine. He did not exactly find it, but got a piece of ore which resembled gold, he thinks. Regarding this man, Dale Morgan observed, No person of this name appears in the census returns, but the name itself was obviously a puzzle to the transcribers. Morgan then suggested the person was Charles Atherton, listed in the 1820 census of South Bainbridge. According to Shenango County records, Atherton held deed land on South Bainbridge lots 60 and 63 in 1819 and 1824, respectively. However, the court record is unclear about the location of the digging, stating only that Smith looked in his stone for the deacon, not that the digging occurred on the latter's property. If the abbreviated record intended to locate the digging on the deacon's land, then a Smith-inspired dig occurred somewhere on one of Atherton's properties in South Bainbridge. 
William D. Purple claimed in 1877 to have seen holes on Josiah Stoll's farm, which he assumed were Smith-inspired. According to Purple, Jonathan Thompson, who accompanied Stoll and Smith in their treasure-seeking ventures, testified at Smith's 1826 court hearing that Smith had told the deacon Stoll that very many years before a band of robbers had buried on his flat a box of treasure, and as it was very valuable, they had by a sacrifice placed a charm over it to protect it, so that it could not be obtained except by faith, accompanied by certain talismanic influences. But despite such efforts, the treasure slipped away. Martin Harris told Joel Tiffany in 1859 about an old Presbyterian, evidently meaning Josiah Stoll, who told him that on the Susquehanna Flats he dug down to an iron chest, that he scraped the dirt off with his shovel, but had nothing with him to open the chest, and that he went away to get help, and when they came to it, it moved away, two or three rods into the earth, and they could not get it. The most prominent hill in South Bainbridge is directly west of the village, and immediately northeast of Stoll's former home. Three holes exist on this prominence that folklore attributes to Joseph Smith. The holes were situated about one mile northeast of Stoll's farm, in the northeast quadrant of Afton Lot 59. They are in close proximity to one another, the two largest being approximately three feet deep and 12 feet in circumference, and eight feet deep and 16 in circumference. Longtime resident Hollis Bear says he first learned of the holes from his father and grandfather, who pointed them out to him sometime before 1920. These are perhaps the same holes mentioned by Lou B. Cake in 1912. On the hills in Afton are holes where he, Smith, and his dupes hunted for treasures. According to Hamilton Child's 1869 Gazetteer and Business Directory of Shenango County, South Bainbridge Lot 62 was the seat of one of the Smith's mining operations. In 1880, Smith Baker of Center Village, Broome County, told Frederick Mather that Smith saw in his stone an extensive and rich silver mine on the farm of Abraham Cornell at Bettsburg, and a hole was dug there to the depth of over 30 feet, but no silver was found except what was contributed by Josiah Stoll to provide for the expenses of the diggers. Abraham Cornell, or Cornwall, was an original settler of South Bainbridge, and his farm was situated immediately east of the village of Bettsburg, in the northeast quadrant of Lot 62. In 1900, Harvey Baker, possibly related to Smith Baker, a great-grandson of Abraham Cornell, who visited the site of the claimed Smith-inspired dig on the Cornell farm in the early 1830s, described its location in detail. Baker, who was told that the diggers were after gold in an iron chest, described the site as follows. The next day, Two of my wife's cousins and myself started to examine Smith's Hole in the Rocks. A creek crossed the Cornwall farm that came from the range east of the Susquehanna River and on the flat joined its waters with that stream. We followed up the creek deep into the gorge until we came to a huge pile of rocks that had but a few years before been tumbled down on the east side of the stream from a place high up in the gorge, probably 50 or more feet. We climbed up the broken pile to where these huge rocks had been sent down. There in the steep side hill, from solid rocks, had this hole been excavated. Far above, huge logs held back other rocks and large amounts of dirt from falling into the excavation. In October of 1992, in company with local historian Charles Decker, I visited the area described by Baker. While there were several interesting crevices, I was unable to determine the precise location described by Baker. Windsor Broom County, New York, home of Josiah Stoll's former money-digging companion, Oliver Harper, murdered by Jason Treadwell in 1824, was the scene of other Smith-inspired digs. One location specifically mentioned by Stoll was Monument Hill, where Smith saw in his stone a deposit of gold. The location of this hill was known to those in South Bainbridge, for Justice Neely failed to specify its location, as he had previously done for Bend Mountain in Pennsylvania. An article about the early history of Windsor 
published in the Binghamton Daily Republican on August 18, 1880, locates Monument Mountain in the chain of hills on the west side of the Susquehanna River and the northern sections of Windsor Township. According to Stoll, Smith located the digging part, which I took to mean evidence of previous digging. And William R. Hine claimed Asa Stoll, a relative of Josiah from nearby Bettsburg, Broome County, furnished the means for Joe to dig for silver ore on Monument Hill. According to the 1826 court record, Stoll said that Joseph Smith saw in his stone where a Mr. Bacon had buried money, that he and prisoner, Smith, had been in search of it, that prisoner said that it was on a certain root of a stump, five feet from the surface of the earth, and with it would be found a tail feather, that said stolen prisoner thereupon commenced digging, found a tail feather, but the money was gone, that he supposed the money moved down. The only bacon in the 1830 census for either Shenango or Broome County is Asher, or Ashel, bacon, of Windsor, Broome County, New York. In the same court record, Horace Stoll perhaps described the same instance when he said, that by means of a stone Smith pretended to tell where a chest of dollars were buried in Windsor, a number of miles distant, and marked out size of the chest in the leaves on ground. I have been unable to locate Bacon's land in Windsor, assuming Bacon's land was the focus of the treasure search. But the evidence is sufficient to place at least one of Smith's operations in this township. The 1826 court record alludes to another treasure dig in the Windsor, New York area. According to Jonathan Thompson, born 1787, a shoemaker living in Plymouth, Shenango County, New York, Smith was requested to look at, or for, yeomans for a chest of money, did look and pretend to know where it was, and that prisoner, Smith, Thompson, and yeomans went in search of it, that Smith arrived at spot first, was in night, that Smith looked in hat while there, and when very dark, and told how the chest was situated, after digging several feet, struck upon something sounding like a board or plank, but on account of an enchantment, the trunk kept settling away from under them while digging. While the yeomans mentioned by Thompson could be Andrew Yeomans of Preston, Shenango County, New York, Dale Morgan had suggested either William, Solomon, or Jeremiah Yeomans, all apparently of the same family living in Windsor. Land records indicate that the Yeomansons owned property in Windsor, Lot 11, on the south or east side of the Susquehanna River, and just east of Oquago Mountain, and across the river on Colesville, Lot 287, original lots 22 and 23. If the court record means that Smith looked for treasure on Yeoman's property, then Windsor Lot 11 may have been the scene of the treasure dig described by Thompson. Other sources place Smith's treasure quests at three additional locations in Windsor, see Map 5. According to William R. Hine, Smith and his father dug for salt, two summers, at the south end of Oquago Mountain, near and in the site of my house. Hine claimed that Joseph Jr. had other men dig two wells, one 30 feet deep, and the other 75. In his 1885 statement, Hine also said that his nephew now owns the land he, Smith, dug on, but I have been unable to learn the identity of his nephew or the location of the claim diggings. Broome County land records also fail to list either William R. Hine or his neighbor Calvin Smith, although the latter is listed in the 1830 census of Windsor. While it is possible for Joseph Smith to have inspired the excavations, the time required for the digging tends to preclude his direct involvement. Hine located another Smith-inspired dig on the west bank of the Susquehanna, half a mile from the river, and three miles from his salt wells. According to Hine, who must be regarded skeptically, Smith dug for Captain Kidd's money at this location. R. C. Dowd, a resident of Windsor who claimed to have worked for Oliver Harper in 1822, also asserted that, on the old Indian road from Windsor to Shenango Point, now Binghamton, about four miles west of Windsor, men were digging at the same time for silver, 
upon Joe's telling them where it could be found. However, Dowd's mistaken assumption that Smith was involved with Harper's digging, and Harmony also brings this claim into question. Colesville, New York, Fall 1826 to January 18, 1827. According to Joseph Knight, Joseph Smith returned to the Colesville area to work for him in the late fall of 1826 and left shortly after his marriage to Emma Hill on January 18, 1827. Knight states, Joseph then went to Mr. Stoll's, where he had lived some time before, but Mr. Stoll could not pay him money for his work very well, and he came to me, perhaps in November 1826, and worked for me until about the time that he was married, which I think was February, January 18, 1827. Some sources suggest that Smith may have engaged in treasure-seeking during this time. Two areas have been specifically identified. See Map 6. Emily Colburn Austin, born 1813, sister of Sally Knight, wife of Newell Knight, claimed to have seen places where they had dug for money on the Joseph Knight Sr. farm at Colesville. Austin was told that under Smith's direction, a dog was sacrificed on this spot in the hope of breaking the charm that held the pots of money. According to Austin, the digging occurred before Smith married Emma Hale. In 1880, George Collington, born about 1812, a longtime resident of Colesville, told Frederick Mather that he saw Smith with Joseph Knight, his sons, and a number of others dig for a salt spring in a marsh on the plain opposite Center Village, on land owned by Bostwick Badger. Collington, who subsequently owned the land, claimed the men dug a hole 35 feet deep under Joseph Jr.'s direction, but failed to discover any salt except what had been secretly deposited there by the young Collington as a prank. While Collington subsequently owned land on the number of lots in Colesville, his land on Lot 58 best fits his description. Conclusion This study has identified 18 locations of Joseph Smith's early treasure quests. See Chart 1. While it is unlikely that any of these sites will become as famous as the northwestern slope of the Hill Cumorah, each nevertheless deserves scholarly attention as possible historical landmarks, leading to the Gold Bible Hill. The turning point in Joseph Smith's money-digging career came in August of 1827, when he, Emma, and Peter Ingersoll visited Harmony, Pennsylvania, to retrieve some of Emma's furniture and other belongings. According to Ingersoll and Isaac Hale, an emotional confrontation occurred between Smith and Hale, during which Smith promised to give up money-digging and stone-gazing, and Hale promised to help the couple get established in Harmony. After returning to Manchester, Smith procured the gold plates, quit the money-digging company, and moved to Harmony to open a new farm. Thereafter, he used his stone only for religious purposes. Considering his past failures, his brush with the law in 1826, his rejection by his in-laws, and his need to find a legitimate livelihood and raise a family, Smith was probably happy to give up treasure-seeking. Three years later, the Book of Mormon would explain the reason for Smith's failures as a treasure-seer and a subsequent success in getting the plates. Whoso shall hide up treasures in the earth shall find them again no more, because of the great curse of the land, save he be a righteous man, and shall hide it up unto the Lord. Helaman 13.18, verses 17-22 and 31. See also Mormon 1.18. This not only confirmed the muddy digger's belief in enchanted treasure, it legitimized Smith's own treasure-seeking activities. Thus a clear distinction between Smith's role as a treasure-seer and a religious seer cannot be made. In fact, Smith's use of the same stone and the same modus operandi, i.e. placing the stone in his hat, and translating the gold plates are simply two sides of the same coin. It is impossible to understand fully the mature Joseph Smith without coming to terms with his early role as treasure seer. Indeed, Smith's failure as a treasure seer leads us to a greater understanding of his success as a religious leader.